Mac Power Users, episode 270, Workflows with Christina Warren. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. How are you doing today? I am doing great. And, you know, this is an episode of Mac Power Users. We've, we have had this guest on our list for a long time, and we were finally able to nail her down with her busy schedule on, ironically, one of the busiest of days for her. So I want to say a very special thank you uh, to our guest, Christina Warren, a fellow Relay FMer. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. So happy to be here. I'm such a big fan of the show, so I'm really, really uh, glad that I'm here. Yeah. Well, we had um, we met up at WWDC, and I, I frankly wouldn't let Christina out of the room until she agreed to do it. <laughs> so we didn't have much choice, right? <laughs> but the uh, but today, so as we record this show, we're recording a little bit in advance. Katie's going on vacation. Um, everybody uh, that doesn't know Christina, she's a very well known journalist. In fact, you're one of the few journalists that have interviewed Tim Cook at this point, aren't you? Yeah, I am. No, which I uh, <laughs> happened at WWDC. Yeah. I never thought I would be in that club, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I never thought that I would kind of join that pantheon, especially not. Um, I mean, I, I've been at this for a long time, but I still feel like I'm early in my career. Uh, long, long uh, gaze or whatever, long tail wise anyway. I know, but I, I, I got a chance to sit down with Tim Cook uh, the day before WWDC kicked off to talk about diversity and women in tech and, and Apple's role and all that. And it was, it was a great conversation. He said some amazing things and it was um, a great opportunity. I mean, you know, getting to interview the CEO of my favorite company and biggest company in the world is kind of awesome. Yeah. yeah well, and what a great well, interview and what yeah. a great topic. I'm, I'm, I think you were the perfect person for that. So you did an amazing job. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's what I felt. Like, honestly, um, I think the topic was what mattered to me even more than just the fact that I got to interview him. The fact that we knew it was going to be about that topic, which is something that I care so much about, about, you know, encouraging women and minorities in tech and kind of putting a greater emphasis on the fact that it shouldn't just all look the same. And it's something I've been passionate about, something I've spoken about and written about for years. And so uh, I felt that way, too. I'm glad you said that. I, I felt like I was the right person to, to do that interview. And I'm really glad I got the opportunity. And what I love about it is, is during the interview, you at one point you said hey tim what about the keynote stage you know you said how come there's no women on the keynote stage i mean this was not a softball interview but i mean no no i mean i I knew going in i knew i was gonna ask that question and he was open to it but it was one of those things i knew that wouldn't be my first question but it would be one but it and it it naturally happened because i said how can we get more visibility and he said or how can we get more women to to care And, and he said you know they need to see themselves and i said okay well that's great so what about you know at wwdc there are no women on the stage what's up with that he was yeah. like, watch tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and he delivered for it. And you know, what I like what I like about that is he did. They weren't token women. They were women who were running programs that were explaining what they were doing. I, I thought that was good. But the, um, um, anyway, tell us a little bit about what you do, Christina, because I think I kind of jumped into the weeds a little bit. Sure. Um, so I'm the senior tech correspondent at Mashable and Mashable is a website where we, you know, focus on, you know, the connected generation. And it started out as kind of a more general kind of Web 2.0 news site and then became kind of a, a social media news centric site and kind of a tech blog. And over the last I've been there for it'll be six years at the end of August. Um, over my time at Mashable, it's really evolved into just kind of a next generation, you know, general news site. We cover a lot of different areas. We have, you know, uh, editors and, and journalists and fashion and business and in um, transportation, uh, we have people uh, who are, you know, uh, in the Ukraine who are freelancers for us. We have people. We have a. We're just about to open up a new Singapore office. We have entertainment. We cover, you know, business like serious business issues um, and world events and world news. But I'm our senior tech correspondent. So what I do is I basically I do a lot of our video stuff uh, and a lot of our um, on camera video reviews and uh, for for tech products and and tech related things. I'm kind of our go to Apple person because I've uh, my, my background before Mashable was I was uh, a blogger at the unofficial Apple weblog and I'm a longtime Mac and Apple uh, person. And um, so I, I you know write kind of op ed sometimes um, crazy screeds sometimes not so crazy. 
uh, and I, I do video um, production to go to events and um, report live just kind of on the culture and the, the things happening around tech. And I really like personally, I like kind of the intersection between tech and digital and and, and any time kind of the, the, the media component is involved. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess I'd say probably in the last few months, I haven't focused as much on that, although Apple Music is, is, is a notable exception, I should say. So maybe I really have actually probably in retrospect, I probably have focused mm-hmm. as much on that. Yeah. And, I, and before uh, <laughs> before we let you out of here, I want to talk to you about Apple Music because you yes. are one of the most well-informed people on streaming services that I know. But, but but before we get there, today was such a unique opportunity because Apple had its its quarterly earnings call. And I know the show's coming out a little later, but everybody just wind back a week or two. You'll remember we had this busy day. Christina is with a major you know media outlet and she's suddenly very busy. I'd like to talk about your workflows today. What What happened today? <laughs> Well, so today, as we're recording, this is Apple Earnings Day. So they announced their third quarter earnings. And so um, at the same time, I'm finishing up an iPod Touch review and uh, kind of preparing for the earnings call. So this is obviously going to be a big tech story. And so, you know, we have kind of our earnings preview that our business team did. And then we're all listening in on the tech team to the call and uh, looking at their earnings results. And we're kind of planning our stories. Okay, how can we extrapolate how many watches they've sold, for example? You know, if we use uh, really klutzy math and say the average selling price of the Apple Watch is $500. And that's, uh, that's fair or not fair, kind of depending on what you're, uh, what you're doing because the, the price range is, is so various. You know, we're, we're kind of planning up stories and then the earnings come out. And in this case, Sometimes, you know, I'm um, at the office um, watching the the ticker kind of come by and watching the news, you know, hit the ticker, so to speak, and, um, you know, tweeting it out. In this case, I was actually about to go on Fox Business, who wanted me to talk about the earnings basically as soon as they had hit. So I was in a chair staring into a remote camera, um, looking at my phone, furiously refreshing and trying to absorb the numbers so I could then go on uh, after the closing bell on Fox Business and talk about those numbers. So you really didn't have an opportunity to review much. You were telling us that as you were sitting in the chair, somebody handed you the Apple earnings report just a few minutes prior. Uh, and- no, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I didn't have much time to process at all. I could kind of look through and say, okay, what was the, you know, revenue for iPad? What was the avenue, revenue for iPod, uh, for iPhone? What was the revenue for other products? What was their total revenue? And I could answer those questions. Um, but beforehand, you know, kind of already thought about, okay, what would these numbers mean? What's the range that we're doing? And that sort of thing. Right. Now, in order to be prepared to talk just off the cuff, obviously, you've got to do some prep work. So maybe let's just kind of step through the day. I mean, did this start prepping for the earnings call? Did you start this this morning? Did you start this yesterday? I mean, what what kind of things are you doing to get ready for this? Are you are you pulling up previous calls? Are you pulling up expectations? Tell us a little bit about um, just some of the some of the research that you're doing beforehand and, and the sources that you you pull for those. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing, you know, kind of look at at, at analyst consensus for what they're expecting their predictions to be. For instance, uh, Apple came in a little bit short of ex- of analyst expectations for iPhone sales. So the the, the street um, estimate, you know, if you were to take all the different uh, investment banks and, and analyst um, project projections together would be about 49 million. Uh, they came in, I think, at 47.8 million or something like that. Um, looking at kind of the revenue guidance expectations. So being familiar with that, I've been covering Apple earnings calls since I would probably say the December quarter or no, excuse me, the September quarter 2007. And I think I've missed two since that time period. So in, in eight years um, and, and, and by missed, I mean, haven't like live blog, live tweeted, written, done something about it. So I have a fairly good memory about what they've been. But yeah, I'll go back and look and see, OK, what did they do last quarter and what are they what did they do a year ago and how can I quantify those differences? So, you know, you, you always know that you're um, this quarter, what they call the June quarter, is typically kind of softer uh, for phone sales than, uh, f- for instance, you know, the, the September or, or the December quarter is going to be because, you know, it's getting later in the product's life cycle and um, they're just, uh, you know, it's kind of summer setting in. So um, you don't necessarily want to say, oh, well, they sold 70 million last quarter. So they if they don't sell that many this quarter, they're dead. No, you want to look at what they sold a year ago. And then, um, you know, what is Apple predicting in terms of their revenue? And and what can we kind of extrapolate that they think they're going to sell from that? And, and what's going to happen? You know, a silly question is, how do you keep that information? Like, if you're going to be doing a television interview, and you want to have the numbers in front of you, just write it on a pad of paper? Or do you have it on a spreadsheet? Um, I mean, 
it sort of depends. I mean, sometimes, you know, might have it on my phone. If I can have my phone out, um, I can have the numbers there. I'm very fortunate that I have a very, very good memory. So oftentimes, you know, I don't need to know a ton of numbers going in. I can just kind of like memorize like the the highlights. And I mean, in this case, I was literally looking at the earnings results on my phone. Um, and so I was able to kind of reference that before looking up at the camera to talk about it. And, and the things were also coming up on screen. One time, I think it was last earnings call, it was actually on CNBC and we were literally on the air as the news broke and the uh, people in the control room were feeding us the information um, during like there was like a 30 second commercial break and, and they were literally feeding us the information so that we could all kind of stare and we were all kind of pulling out our phones and, and looking at it and trying to kind of digest it as it comes in. Um, it's, it's an acquired skill. I guess, to kind of be able to think on your feet, but I'm very fortunate that I know how to, uh, I guess, remember numbers and those sorts of things, at least for short periods of time so that I can say them correctly. Well, I would assume, though, also because of all your experience and knowledge that you just got this really big foundation to work with. So you can probably you can probably roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate in that this is something that I'm passionate about. It's a topic I've been covering for, I mean, professionally for almost eight years and as just a general user and tech follower for far, far longer than that. So it is one of those things where I was kind of a fan before I was a a professional um, journalist. And so you're right. I'm very fortunate that I have kind of a, you know, decades plus basis to kind of reach from. And I feel like I understand the company culture. I understand kind of the, the machinations of what happens with this. For instance, what almost always happens with Apple earnings is that they will blow away expectations and the stock will still drop. In this case, they didn't blow away expectations, but they beat estimates and they still managed to drop. You know, the stock is down, I think, as we're recording the seven, seven and a half percent. It'll probably this is an after hours. It'll probably bounce back a little bit tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, the, the narrative immediately goes to, oh, no, you know, Apple is doomed. And having been someone who's, you know, been been a fan of the company and, and, and just just a general tech fan for for so long and seen kind of all the iterations of, of that kind of meme, you know what kind of to, to expect. And then in some cases, they really do blow. It and, and things aren't well, and you can kind of figure out well why. What was the what was the deal with the product? And I think that since I'm not a, a finance person, what I can kind of bring to some of the coverage is I can say I have really intimate knowledge of how their products work and how they've been rolled out and what the user experience is like. And oftentimes that does end up trickling into why something why sales are what they are. You know, uh, that's something I think a lot of the the financial people uh, don't take into account. They just you know see it as oh well you know it, it worked or it didn't, but they don't take into account why it worked or why it didn't. I think one of the advantages I have over my uh, other geek friends is that I've, I've in my day job, I've been involved with companies that got involved with security sales. And I realized very early in life that there is no relationship between how successful a business is and what the securities are worth. It just there's actually just no relationship at all, <laughs> as far as I can tell. But the um, but, you know, getting ready for this. So, so you did the research, you showed up for the appearance and now you're writing something on it, I would presume as well. How are you getting that done on yes. top of everything else? Well, it's going to be tough because I'm doing this show with you guys right now where I would normally be writing an op-ed. So, yeah, sorry, uh, but no, it's tough. I now mean, I just feel no, bad. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. No, I mean, well, that's sort of the thing. You kind of go in with your idea. And oftentimes, Tim Cook will say something during or, or back when it was Steve Jobs, you know, will say something during the earnings call. They will make a comment and that will spark off a, an op-ed idea of either they're doomed or, or they're not. I mean, I remember in one case or, or something will happen that will just a, a news aspect of the story will break and you'll run a write an, anal- an analysis of it. Uh, my colleague, Lance Ulanoff, and I have been fighting over whether the Apple Watch has been a hit or a flop. And uh, I, I've i called it floppish. Um, I like the Apple Watch a lot, but if I'm being completely honest and taking my Apple fangirl glasses off, you know, I don't think the launch was executed really well. And it took a really long time to get it in stores. And I think that it, sales will go up and there will be great apps once the Watch OS 2 comes out in September. But at that point, I do wonder if a lot of the early momentum around the first version is kind of dried up and if people are just going to wait for the next version. So uh, he's going to be writing something, I think, today kind of saying, yeah, it's, it's a hit. Whereas if I were to write something right now, I would say, yeah, um, just because it's the best selling smartwatch doesn't necessarily mean this is a, a hit. Um, at the same time, I don't think it necessarily has to be right. I mean, this is this is something that they can really ha- they have a long time to really play with and get into. And, and Apple is one of those companies, unlike a lot of other companies who tends to be kind of uh, immune 
at least from a, a company operating perspective, from the whims of the stock. So whether the stock goes up or down doesn't impact what decisions the management and product team are making. Uh, it be, and that's a good thing, I think, because if they were listening to the whims of the market, you know, then they would drop anything that wasn't an immediate success uh, or they would maybe double down on something that was that might not turn out to be a long term prospect. So I think the Apple Watch is just one of those weird products where I don't even know if Apple knows exactly what the future of it is. I feel like they feel like it's an experiment for them. And it and it's still to me, as much as I like the device, doesn't quite feel like the typical Apple device. So if I were to write something right now, I would probably try to put all of those kinds of feelings into place, which is maybe why has the watch not resonated with users? Actually, now that I'm talking about it, that will be the story I write tomorrow um, or, or tonight when I get home will be why has the Apple Watch not resonated the same way as something like the the iPod or the iPad or the iPhone? Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And I don't think that it means that it won't ever resonate. But I do think that it's inescapable to say that right now, it certainly doesn't have that kind of thing that calls to you to just immediately buy it um, that you get with some of the other products. One yeah. of the things I found fu- funny about the Apple Watch is I don't I don't fiddle with it. You know, when I got a new iPhone and right. an I- iPad, I fiddled with it for Same. months. And with this, once I figured it out, I put it on and that was that. Yeah, I actually put exactly. mine on this, this morning and, and realized about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the day that I'd forgotten to unlock it. I was like, oh, oops. Oh, see, I unlock mine first thing. I do that. But and I, mean, I, I, I meant to. I usually it. did. But I was just like, oh, right. No, you just forgot. But that but that shows right there that it was a couple of hours right before you even looked at it and interacted with it like properly. Right. Which I think is sort of a, I mean, it's it's a good thing that it's unobtrusive, but it's kind of a bad thing, too. Right. Because it's like the iPhone and the iPod before it. And the iPad, you know, the Mac even, you know, they kind of call for you to touch them, to play with them, to, fit, to like to caress them. You, you like like I think fiddle is a great term, David. Uh, but the Apple Watch, not so much. You know, it's like I play with it. But then right now, anyway, the apps are really slow. And until the next version of apps come out, I kind of just used it for the notifications and the built in stuff. If I'm being honest, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, and I guess it depends on what you want. I, th- I think in many respects of my life, I think that's a feature because I don't want wa- a watch I, yeah. necessarily that I fiddle with. For me, it serves a, a great purpose, and we'll see what happens with Apple Watch 2.0 because maybe there'll just be some apps that I absolutely have to use on my watch. I don't know, but I, I like mine, but I, see, I definitely see I definitely see your, your point that it, it could be more, and I think it will be. We'll see. It, these things take time. Yeah, but. I think it will be. Yeah, I? no, I, I agree with you. I think it takes time. I think that uh, it's hard on a day like earnings day when everybody's wanting the big figures to come out. And obviously, Apple's like, we're not going to break those out. Um, it becomes really easy to to just scream success or failure. And and I obviously, you know, as I'll, 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 I'll play into that a little bit. But I think you're right. I think that it definitely has potential to be. I mean, I really like mine um, and I like it kind of as this kind of casual device. Um, but having said that, I also don't know if right now anyway, if it's, you know, a, like a 10 or $20 billion category. I don't know about that. Right. Right. So now that you've got your topic idea, I, I know you're doing this podcast now and you mentioned that you have an event later, but but you're going to go home and you're going to write this article tonight, maybe finish it tomorrow morning and yeah. then it's, and then it's going to publish tomorrow. I mean, have you, I mean, yeah. I don't know how long, long we're talking, you know, a couple hundred, maybe 1200 words, something like that. I, I, I don't know, but have you always been able mm-hmm. to bang out pieces that quickly? Is it when a topic comes to you, you'll just be able to get it out or? Um, because this really is going to be more of an, I mean, some, I was going to say this yes, is probably more is of more an opinion th- piece rather than a, a, a research piece. Right. Exactly. And opinion pieces tend to be faster because, you know, you don't have to have a bunch of sources and you just kind of go from the gut, although sometimes they can be harder to analyses. Um, I tend to be faster with um, than just like a typical reported story, although sometimes those can be fast, too. You know, somebody sends you a press release, you call up the company, you ask them questions, you know, you get some photos, you write it up, you're done. Or you do a pre-interview with someone before something's coming out. They say, hey, we've got this news. You talk to them. You kind of write a skeleton, you know, you kind of, you know, write up the story and then it's published. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate that I kind of learned or not learned, but I, I started writing professionally, you know, kind of in the blogging era. And so I never went through the traditional newspaper system. Um, my first job was for USA Today, but that was a column that I submitted every week and and they published it online and, and in the paper. Um, but that was, you know, that was columnist work. That wasn't, um, you know, the same as kind of a daily, you know, news reporter sort of thing. And so I've never 
been, I guess, through the, the old system, the old, uh, you know, mainstay system, I've always just, you know, you, you write, you, you, you know, copy edit or, you know, fact check, do whatever, and you publish. Um, so speed has always been one of those things that in, in kind of the blogging era, that's really important. And there have been times when I've been faster and times when I've been slower. Um, I'm getting faster again, although I'm not as fast as I used to be. There was a time, gosh, I guess about six years ago, when I was, I just started working with the first year I worked at Mashable, I was working for Mashable full time. It was my salary job. And I also had a, a part time gig for um, AMC, um, the movie theater chain. And I they had a movie news site and I would write five movie news posts a day. I would get up at seven o'clock in the morning and I'd write five news posts. And then by like 930, I would start my Mashable posts and write about five stories for Mashable. Now, this isn't like intense, you know, stuff. This is, again, mostly the movie news stuff was basically reblogging that the Mashable stuff was a little more involved, but I'm not going to try to pretend like it was any great feats of journalism. Um, sometimes there were good things, but a lot of times, you know, it's just kind of the grunt work you do when you're starting out. And I think we calculated that that year I wrote a million words. And um, that's a lot. That's a lot to do. And uh, that was a little bit too much. Um, but just to kind of give you an idea, I mean, yesterday, uh, as we're recording this, uh, I wrote a story called Ashley Madison is so screwed. And that was not the original headline. The original headline was, <laughs> I do like was, the headline was canceled at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. It was the original headline was canceled at the last minute, but it's, it's in the slug that the URL for the post, you can see what it was. And, um, it was about the Ashley Madison hack. And I did actually, uh, talk to a couple of security experts who Basically, nobody really had a lot of information about how the hack happened. Um, so it was one of those things I could kind of do as a pure op-ed. But I did talk to a couple of security experts and get some quotes. But, you know, uh, I started it later than I probably should have. And I probably finished that, I would say, about in an hour and a half. And I think that was about, you know, 900, 1,000 words. So... So just mechanically, do you do you bang it out on a keyboard? Do you dictate it? I mean, how do you yeah. get this text yeah, I, written? I, yeah, I do it on a keyboard. So I use TextMate, uh, which is, I know, weird for writers, but I use TextMate. Um, I, uh, some people are like, oh, go to Sublime Text or go to something else. But but I like TextMate, too. And uh, Brett Terpstra, who I do a podcast with called Overtired, um, and, and I know you guys know, he built for me many, many years ago, like many years ago, a bundle for TextMate that will automatically um, do some stuff that kind of works with Mashable's workflow. So I can select um, a, a, a couple of words and I can search for a post in Mashable's history and link to it automatically, or I can automatically insert a link, or I can um, you know, automatically tag something or categorize something. And then I have commands using, uh, and I swear this was not planned, but this is true, using text expander, where I will type in, you know, little macros and it'll automatically fill in information. And so um, I write everything in Markdown. I write it all in, in, in TextMate too. It, it syncs with Dropbox. And then I copy, I convert it to HTML and I copy it into our CMS. So that's that's my way of kind of going faster than the average person might, because if I used, you know, the, the, the CMS itself, there are very oftentimes there would be problems, you know, if, if it crashes or something happens, I might lose part of, part of a post. And then this way, I kind of feel like I have more of a distraction-free writing environment. So what I try to do is if I know is, is get a list of all the links I'm going to reference first and make a markdown reference list out of it, and then start you know, writing and, and filling stuff in and, and, and linking as necessary. Um, and, uh, and so that's what I do. Now, do you have editors or does it just go straight on straight up? Pardon me? Do you get, does it go through any editorial process or does it just go straight up? Oh, yeah, there? yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And then once it's in our CMS, then we have editors who go through, you know, and they'll, they'll copy edit or in some cases, you know, maybe do um, sometimes it's just, you know, line editing. Sometimes uh, I might work with an editor who will make it a little bit better. It really depends on who's editing um, and depends on the length of the story, frankly, and, and the, the tone of the story. If it's just a quick news post, you know, I'm probably not going to have a lot of changes made other than if I've made a typo or, or grammatical error. Uh, and then, you know, our, our editing team schedules and, and plans how things are published. If it's a breaking news thing, if I've got, you know, we're all in the loop on it, then I can publish directly. But that rarely happens most of the time. You know, you put things in a queue and we have kind of a... um a weird kind of, you know, but kind of, I guess, you know, kind of your typical publishing system where, you know, we have kind of a triage system going where, you know, posts are published, um, not at set intervals, but at it's semi, you know, set intervals throughout the day. And, and we try to find the right time to post things. And then once it's posted, you know, share it out to social media. Um, and um, depending on how well a story is doing, it might be promoted 
you know, into a more prominent placement on our homepage or, or, or whatnot. So. So obviously with TextMate, all of this is is happening on the Mac, but it it sounds like, you know, with your making media appearances and doing things like that, um, you may not always be around the Mac. Do you just take your Mac with you wherever you go? Do you have an iOS set up or... Um, so with iOS, I use drafts. And again, because I have it linked with with um, text with, with Dropbox, where I have all these markdown files stored, I can add in stuff. I tend to not write a lot of stuff on my phone and on my iPad, if I'm being honest. I might do some notes or an outline, but I'm not, I'm not like Federico who can do his entire life on the iPad. I wish I could. Um, I'm just, the way that I do things, I'm just not built for that. So it just depends, you know? And so that means if I'm doing a lot of media appearances or I'm doing a lot of video, or if I'm doing, you know, um, a lot of that other stuff, maybe I don't write as much that day or that week, you know? Um, but, or if, if yeah, if, if it's a case where I need to write, then I'll have my MacBook Air kind of with me. Um, and this is an area where I don't have the new MacBook, but when I, re- when I reviewed the new MacBook, I was thinking, I was like, okay, this is where this would be kind of like the perfect device because it would be super small and easy to take and, and pull out to type and, and just crank things out on. Um, but I have been known in the past to, you know, write outlines for stories and write outlines for um, posts um, on my, on my phone or on my iPad. What I do do when I'm interviewing sources for stories is I take notes on my iPhone. I oftentimes will record the interview in, in audio on my iPhone and have the audio recording there. Um, although I'm not one of those people who adheres to, I mean, I, I don't want to ever misquote anyone, but I'm, you know, it's not one of those things where I spend hours transcribing stuff. I tend to try to get the quote as they say it in, in my notes. And then I can go back and see if I missed anything. Usually I haven't. Um, but, you know, I, I have my iPhone out and I'm usually doing kind of my weird version of shorthand, you know, quick typing on my phone. And again, all those are usually, you know, saved in markdown files to Dropbox so I can edit it immediately from TextMate once I'm at work. And that's what makes it nice is that I can open up those notes side by side, the the, the thing I'm working on. And, I, and it's all visible. I mean, I, I suppose I could use Evernote or, or any of the any other number of note services for that too. But for my purposes, just, you know, plain markdown slash text files, you know, save to Dropbox and a certain directory um, works pretty well. Okay, so you're, you're, you're doing these notes in drafts, writing in markdown, and then just, I'm sure you have a drafts workflow that just saved them to a particular yes. Dropbox file. Okay. And then for the, exactly. for the audio recording, just do, using the, the built-in app or? I, I use actually one called Dropbox. Uh, let me find out the name of it. Vox, V-O-X, yeah. VOX, yeah, I think so. Um, what's it called? And it can, I can upload, that's cool. No, it's called Recorder Pro, actually. It's called Recorder Pro. And I like it a lot because it will let me either upload to iCloud or I can um, send to other folders or download. And it's got kind of cool share sheets. So I like Recorder Pro a lot, mostly for the iCloud thing, because that way, it's just yet another kind of cloud thing. Although I, I've used Vox before, I've used some of the other services where I will record the audio file and then transfer it to Dropbox if I need to or iCloud or something else, just so I, I know that there's a copy on the desktop that I can listen to. I um I, I looked up, you know, just on your Ashley Madison post, I looked up the slug and it was exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was debated. That almost went up. I mean, that was like a very close, that was a very close thing. And uh, ultimately, our executive editor was like, no, I don't like to use that word in headlines unless it's absolutely dire. And this wasn't a dire situation. Yeah. The good news was is that he did keep the lead on unobtrude. And so the, the word was not X'd out even in the lead. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, a, a few years ago, Mashable would not have ever done that. And frankly, I think it gives us like sometimes there are no other there's no other way to say it. It is what it is. Well, so it, it's <laughs> I just I, I really like you're a professional journalist whose whose personality and individuality comes out in your writing that's one of the reasons why i love everything you do but um this is just another example thank you so we're going to come back in a minute but i want to take a break and talk about our exclusive sponsor for this episode and that is our good friends over at smile and i'd like to talk about text expander you know smile recently introduced text expander version 5 and text expander is probably the most used utility on my mac because i use it hundreds of times a day without even thinking about it i mean text expander is so ingrained in my brain that sometimes i even find myself writing my text expander snippets on post-it notes and thinking oh gosh nobody's going to know what that means i better rewrite this longhand and so what text expander does is it expands 
from really short snippets that you can create and takes your most frequently typed words and phrases and expands them into um, the full phrases, the full words, the full paragraphs, whatever you want. And new with Text Expander version 5 is it now helps you remember when you've got Text Expander snippets created because it reminds you of those missed opportunities to use those abbreviations while you're typing. Uh, Text Expander will sync across all of your devices, storing all of those snippets that you've lovingly created in iCloud, uh, in Dropbox, and just sync seamlessly across all of your devices. So what you can do with Text Expander is uh, you start with a word, a phrase, a paragraph, or even a full page of text, but you can start small and think about what are some of the things that you type over and over and over again. Maybe it's a phone number, maybe it's an email address, maybe it's a common phrase, you know, maybe it's a quote, but those are ideal candidates to stick into Text Expander. Once you put those into Text Expander, then you create uh, a snippet for them. You create an abbreviation for them. And then anytime you type that abbreviation, Text Expander is automatically going to expand that abbreviation into the longer text. So I've got snippets created. I've got hundreds of snippets created. But examples of snippets that I've created include um, my phone number, my address. I've actually recently created a Text Expander snippet for your address, David, because I have to give that to people from time to time. Um, my, my work address, I've got text expander snippets created for all kinds of boilerplate language that I use in the day job. Um, and text expander even allows you to create fill in snippets. So sometimes you don't want exactly boilerplate language, but maybe you want to customize things. So if you want to create a letter, it allows you to address a letter or maybe pick from a couple of different options. Uh, it's just amazing the things that you can do with Text Expander, and it really allows me to up my game by being incredibly more productive and just allowing to type a few keystrokes and magical things begin to happen on my screen. Text Expander version 5 uh, has an entirely new look and feel uh, for Yosemite, and it's going to fit in just great with El Capitan when it comes out. Uh, you can now sync via iCloud Drive or Dropbox. And that's great because they also have the companion iOS app. Uh, so Text Expander 5 costs $44.95 for the Mac, or upgrades start at just $19.95 for existing users, and might even be free if you've recently purchased your copy of Text Expander. So as we talked about, it does sync with their companion iOS app. And David, you wanted to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I do. I want to talk about the iOS stuff, but one question, Katie Floyd. Have you tried to use the tab key with an email in Text Expander on your Mac yet? I have, as a matter of fact. It, that's the killer feature. So if you if you write emails frequently to people, you can have the snippet uh, populate in your in your subject field. So like if you're always sending customer emails out, you could say thanks for your order, and you can hard code the tab key right in Text Expander snippet, so it'll jump to the body of the text. You don't even have to stop to do the subject line in the body. It's amazing. So check that out. Um, but Text Expander, in addition to working on the Mac, I mean, where would it be better than something with a little tiny keyboard that's hard to work on? I mean, it's it's even better on iOS. And the guys and gals at Smile have been working really hard on that. They got it working on iOS when it wasn't even really supposed to work on iOS because Apple had everything clamped down so hard, but they figured it out. But it's only got better over the years as Apple has released those restrictions. And now they have a custom keyboard. It's the Text Expander keyboard. So if you type in any of those snippets, whether you create them on your iPhone or your iPad or even your Mac, because everything syncs, you'll be able to expand the snippet. So if Katie wants to give my my address out to a stalker um, and she's on her phone, she can just open up the text expander touch keyboard, even from Apple mail, a program that's never going to support third party apps. As long as you just use that keyboard, you can use it. It's great. And they support many languages. They've got English, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, and Swedish. Uh, they're always built adding on to that list. And it, it just works everywhere because you've got that keyboard. They do have custom support if developers want to incorporate it, but you don't need it with the keyboard. Um, it, like, I said earlier, it syncs across all the devices and you can even share the snippet groups with other iOS devices through your local Wi-Fi network. And you get all that from just $4.99. Um, it's just a really great implementation. It's way better than the built-in text expansion feature that Apple plays with because the, the gang at Smile is working full-time to make this an amazing text expansion tool. And frankly, it's just better. So check it out. They've been a sponsor a long time. If you haven't tried them, you should. 
We do regularly receive emails from listeners who said, man, I wish I had tried it earlier. Don't be that person. Just go get it. You're going to love it. Go to my website, uh, maxparky.com slash TE snippets, and you can download a bunch of them I've put up there. I think, Katie, you've given away some to your website, haven't you? I have. Yep. So go check it out and um, and get, you know, save some time. Thanks, Smile, for supporting the show. I know we have you for a limited amount of time today and you're, you're off. You, you need to write things. You've got think, places to go. But I've been dying to talk to you about Apple Music. Um, yes. So we've got a few minutes left. Let's talk about that briefly. Now, we did a show on Apple Music. I'm a big fan, but, you know, I'm not really the guy who's used every competing service. And I know you've been at it for a long time. Yeah, so, I've used every competing service. Okay, so tell <laughs> us, what what are your thoughts at this point? You know, a few weeks in, I'm still really liking it. For me, the, the crown jewel is still that for you section. That section to me is so freaking good. Um, it just, it takes away the question that I always ask whenever, and I'm a big Spotify fan. I've been a Spotify subscriber and user for, for years and years. And, and I'm not going to not, I'm gonna, not going to draw my Spotify subscription. I'm going to maybe readdress things at the end of the year, but I'm at least through the end of 2015, I'm staying with Spotify premium. Um, but you know, when I open up Spotify, what I found was it's usually, there's a song I want to listen to and I know I want to hear it. So I open it up or, um, and that, that's usually it, you know, um, or, or, or something else. But but if I just want to say, hey, I want to listen to music, if I open up Spotify and if I don't have any idea what I want to listen to, it's not a great experience because some of their playlists are OK. And they just released a new product this week, uh, their Discover playlist, which are recommendations. And they're not bad. They're they're pretty good. Um, but it's kind of a it's like, OK, I've got access to every song in the world, but where do I start? Whereas with Apple Music, I open it up and I see my For You section and I'm opening this up on my phone right now as we're talking. And I'm seeing, you know, Weezer deep cuts and um, introduction to Sufjan Stevens and some, you know, love songs, ultimate, you know, pop breakup songs and, and you know, albums from from various, uh, um, you know, different groups. And, and it's giving me ideas of things I want to listen to. Maybe I want to listen to one of those playlists. Maybe I don't. Or maybe I see an album and I go, you know what? I remember when this came out and I really wanted to hear it. Um, but... Um, I, I never had a chance and, and I can, I can listen to it now, or um, I haven't heard this album in a really long time. I want to listen to it again, or I can go to the new section and be like, Oh, okay. I didn't realize that, um, you know, this, this new single from, from Fetty Wap uh, just dropped, you know, and I, I want to listen to that. So, or, or, or there's a new, there's a new Wilco just released a new album. I want to listen to what, what they're doing. Cause I like Wilco a lot. So there's, it, I like that it kind of takes away a lot of the, need to make a choice and just kind of shows you suggestions, which I've found to be really, really good. I'd love to know your experiences. I mean, mine's suggesting that I uh, listen to the essential Maynard Ferguson, which nobody has heard of, but is perfect for me. So I like it too. But the the, the weird thing for me is, and I, you know, this is kind of dumb, but the fact is it's combined with my existing library. And e right. even when I had beats before, cause I was a beat subscriber for probably a year and a half. Or, I mean, basically when they mm -hmm. started, I signed up. Right. And, and that was great, but it was always weird having this wall between my iTunes. Exactly. And and even if the streaming isn't quite as good as Spotify, the fact that it's combined with my twenty thousand. I totally agree. I mean, what I, I, I totally agree. No, no, for me that's a killer feature too. And it's weird because Spotify on the desktop would take your iTunes library, and assuming it was local and not all in the cloud, you know, you could still create playlists that would have that stuff in it. And so that got around it a little bit. But on the phone, you're right, and which is where I increasingly listen to stuff. Like you can't listen um, to it; you've got to switch apps, and that's really frustrating. Um, so having it all in one place, I'm with you. I love that, and I also love the fact that I can create playlists now that have music from both sources, and it doesn't matter because it's all the same. I'm a little concerned now because I just opened up my for you section and it just recommended prom pop hits for me. So I don't know. <laughs> well, but, but are the songs good? Are the songs good? I don't know. I, I'll, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to dig into that a little bit. Well, well, you roar by Katy Perry, Neon Lights. Um, and um, yeah, I, applause by Lady Gaga. We'll, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. Well, I, I, I was interested because, I, like I said, we did the show on it. I did feel like I didn't give proper kind of like, you know, discussion of the other competing services. But if you're if you're sold on the Apple ecosystem already, if you've got the music on yes. iTunes, it seems to me kind of a no brainer. And, and for us, totally. And the $15 a month family plan for us. I mean, my family is going, that's, going that's nuts huge. with this. I mean, my, my yeah. 
Yeah, the family Google. plan is really the sweet spot. Uh, yeah, nine ninety nine for an individual. I think it's a very reasonable price, but fifteen for a family is just a no brainer. If you've got a very musically uh, inclined family or a family that's very interested in music, you know, music is not totally. not my thing. I, I enjoy music, but I don't listen to music very often. So I don't know that Apple Music is going to be a huge thing for me. But I know that many many right. people love music. So. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that that's a great point, though, David, about if you're already in the ecosystem, because, you know, to be fair, Google has already kind of had the, the having both of your songs and, and your streaming stuff live side by side with their Google Music product. Um, so for Android users, you know, they've had kind of a native solution or, or if you're, you know, you drink their Kool-Aid and, and you do that even on your Mac or, or, or your I, iOS devices. Um, but I think that for iTunes, where for so many of us, we have, you know, like almost you know, a decade and a half worth of, of library stuff. Um, it's a little bit different, but, and I'm also agree with you, Katie. I think that, that, uh, the family plan is, is a really great price point because they're, they're charging the same as everybody else for individual, but where they're really, you know, coming down is on family plan for up to what, up to six people for $15. That's insane. Um, and that's, that's really, really competitive. I, I think, especially, um, you know, if, if you've got a couple of people in the family who, like music, because then you can all have your own accounts. You know, Spotify offers uh, family discount pricing, but it's not as good as what Apple's doing. Also, you've been involved with this for so many years. I know you've met with the CEOs of these companies and interviewed them yeah. over the years. You've been, I mean, what needs to happen next with Apple Music and what does Apple need to do? Because it's clearly a directive of the company to be big in music and to, to hold that title. Where do you think they yeah. need to go next? Well, I mean, I think that they need to obviously, I think, work on, uh, you know, cleaning up some of the bugs and, and fixing iTunes. I think fixing iTunes needs to become a priority since Apple Music is such a big part of it. Either decouple the, the service from iTunes and, and make an Apple mu a music app uh, or or start a ground up rewrite from iTunes. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see when the Android app comes out, because uh, that's going to be the first time they're ever on Android, you know, and, and I wonder you know, how much they're going to do and how much they'll they'll cripple the Android experience. I think if you want to be everywhere with music, they've got to, you know, make it as good as possible. I mean, if anything, if, if I were Apple, I would say build the best damn Android app you can just to show that the experience on Apple is so much better. I mean, honestly, for a lot of people, that's what iTunes was before iTunes became terrible. You know, if you think back to 2004 iTunes, iTunes was like this amazing app on Windows. And for a lot of people... That was kind of their first experience with what it looked like and, and seeing kind of that, you know, the, the brushed aluminum kind of look of the app and, um, you know, gave, it, it kind of introduced them to the Mac a little bit uh, in, in a way that other apps didn't. The old ice water in hell story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and so, yeah, I mean, I think that make a really good Android app and uh, fix the bugs, fix iTunes. Um, and I and I think that, you know, uh, they're making a lot of the right decisions and a lot of the right moves now. Uh, but I mean, honestly, you know, cloud services have always been sort of a, a, a pressing point. It's always been kind of a, a good slash bad thing for Apple. So I think if you're going to do these sorts of streaming services, you've got to make sure that your stuff is together. Like Apple Music was down a little bit earlier today. Um, all services are going to have down time. But I mean, you know, this is one of those things where when the world is watching, you know, they need to be double, triple on top of it. Um, but I mean, I think that so far they're doing the right things. If I'm the other companies, I'm scared. You know, if I'm Spotify, I'm scared. And I love Spotify. And I, I've, I've met Daniel many times and, and I like their, their product a lot. But if I'm Spotify, I'm scared. I'm not scared that my existing Spotify paid users are going to leave because that's a hard thing to convince people to do, right? If you're already paying $10 a month for Spotify, you've already got your playlist, you've already got, you know, you're ingrained in the system, you're probably not going to stop and go to Apple Music unless, you know, you've got a lot of people in your family and you just really kind of like um, having your songs together. There's there's probably one of those. You, I think you could probably say, you know what, I, I like my Spotify. I'm, I'm staying. But if you're a free user or you're someone who doesn't, you know, who's been thinking about maybe buying a music service and you have an iPhone and you've got, you know, iTunes and you've got songs you've purchased. Now, looking at the two services side by side, if I'm Spotify, I'm a little bit concerned. Um, I do think it would be interesting to see what Apple does in the future with Apple Music once they have had a little more time with it to see how much they can extend um, the service. Because so far when I and I, I, I asked them directly about this, you know, do you have any plans for an API or do you have any plans, you know, to make playlists more discoverable or kind of create a network effect or anything like that? And the answer was no. And I think that um, I understand that for right now, you know, limit your focus. 
But in the future, it would be if they want this to really be the center of everything. You know, one of the great things about Spotify is that it is, you know, you can embed it on the web. You can play it on the web. Um, they have, you know, the ability to search for other users' playlists to make public. There are APIs that that other developers can build into their apps. And, and I think that it would be cool if Apple would take that approach, too, because I think that would make um, Apple Music a lot more ubiquitous if more people could build it into stuff. Yeah, and I would normally say that's no way that's going to happen, but they're making an app for Android, so anything is on right. the table at this point. Uh, and I would agree there's no way it could happen, except what if it has to happen if they really want it to become the, you know, if, if you want it to, you know, streaming music to be synonymous with Apple Music, then you kind of need to be everywhere, right? Yeah. Last question, and I know you got to go. Um, what, what are your impressions of Beats 1 now after having listened to it for a while? So, I mean, I don't listen to it all the time when I tune in, though, I, I tend to get good stuff. I like a lot of the shows. I really like St. Vincent's show. She does a, a, a really, really great kind of request show. And I like Dr. Dre's show, The Pharmacy. And I like some of the other shows they're doing. It's interesting, right? Like, it's a weird throwback thing. Um, I still don't find myself listening to radio all that much. But when I do, it's not bad. Um my big question on Beats 1, I mean, I know that they're investing a lot in it. And I think Zane Lowe is a really, really smart guy and really talented uh, uh, DJ. And I think the other DJs that hired are really talented. But I wonder, it, like, you know, if, if this wasn't a company that had, what was their market cap right now? Like $700 billion? If this yeah. wasn't a $700 billion company, would they be able to um, invest in this sort of expenditure? Yeah, it, it seems it, it seems kind of silly in some sense, but then my 18 year old daughter and her friends like it. Oh, well, that's cool. I, I don't that's cool. I don't really. Do they listen to it a lot? Yeah. I mean, they. I, I walk in her room and it's it's playing. So she must listen that's to really it. That's really interesting. You know? And I guess that's, that's why really they cool. did it. You know, they didn't do it for me because I'm getting right. I'm getting Maynard Ferguson recommendations. So, right. Yeah. Right. I, I do think, though, that the, the um, I guess the uh, programmatic radio stations they've now have um, for different artists or for different genres um, that they now have somebody actually picking the playlists that are going in those radio stations are so much better than the, the genius radio stations and the iTunes radio stuff. It's not even funny. I'm really glad they fixed iTunes radio. Well, it's been an exciting couple months if you're into music. So I'm really curious to see where it goes. And, you know, someday when you're not running crazy, we're going to have you back and talk about some of this stuff some more. But I know yes, you got to run. I would run. love to be back. I'm so sorry I have to run, but it's it's been a blast. And uh, I would love to be back anytime and talk to you guys more. You guys are fantastic. We're going to hold you to that. And, yeah. uh, and where can everybody find you? So you can find my work on Mashable, uh, mashable.com slash people slash Christina. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm film underscore girl. And I do a podcast right here on Relay FM called Rocket with uh, Brianna Wu and Simone de Rochefort. Uh, that comes out on Thursdays. It's really fun. And I also do a podcast called Overtired with Brett Terpstra um, that is on ESN.FM. So that's where you can find me. Thanks, so Christina. You're very busy. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you taking the time <laughs> today. So we'll see you. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Well, I know Christina had to leave, but uh, just kind of shutting down the issue of Apple Music, Katie, we didn't get to really talk to you much about it. Now, it's been about a month since you and I recorded that show. Actually, a little less than a month, but it, it's been a little while. What are you doing with Apple Music now? You know, I'll tell you candidly, I, I have not done much with Apple Music. You know, as I said in the in the show with Christina, I am not a big music listener. I do not listen to a lot of, of music, but it has come in handy. You know, I, I am still within my my three month trial. And, you know, I was um, hanging out with um, some friends the other day and we were James Taylor came on the the actual I think we were in a restaurant and they, they were playing something uh, and James Taylor came on and we were commenting and they said, oh, yeah, I, I heard he came out with a new album. And I said, yeah, I've been I've been meaning to listen to that. And then it clicked in my head. You know what? I can you know, I didn't want to buy it because I didn't know if I would like it, but I could listen to it. So the next morning as I was up and and getting ready for work, uh, I just found that new album on Apple Music and I played it. And that was neat. That was something that I had I'd never really been able to do before. And it was great. It was a fine album. I don't know that I'm going to buy it, but I, I thought it was great. And I wouldn't have been able to do that before had it not been for Apple Music. So that was kind of cool. But Honestly, I'm I'm not listening much, but I'm not listening to a, a lot of music, period. So it's just the, not. The hooks are in deep. The hooks yeah. are in deep here at the Sparks House. I mean, there's all kinds of new music coming out of speakers. So it's great. Everybody's liking it. And uh, 
uh, we're sold. So, uh, my, my kids, my wife, everybody's finding new music. So that's fun. Um, well, I, I'm curious to see where it all goes, but I'm glad to see Apple c- kind of got into the streaming the right way. And, and like I was saying during the show, to me, it's almost an unfair advantage, but because I'm so invested in iTunes all these years, having everything in one place really does make it more, you know, palatable to me. So, yeah. And, you know, as we were talking about, I, I think Apple, there there is a lot of work to do, you know, as we record the show today. And I, I know it's not particularly timely because it won't come out for another couple of weeks, but um at Beats Music or Beats One had a had a deal with uh, I think it was MTV to law uh, to announce the the winner the uh, the nominees I guess of the Music Video Awards. Now this is nowhere near my wheelhouse. This is not something that I'm interested in, but it's a it's a fairly big deal and it was a fairly popular event. Uh, and then about the time that that announcement was made, uh, Apple had a fairly significant uh, outage where lots of things went down. And I don't know whether that was because maybe a lot of people were were signing in and were, were streaming this because it was such a big deal or whether it was just really bad timing. So there's still some kinks to be worked out of the system. And, you know, as we were talking about with Christina, you know, iTunes really never got that revamp. This has just been another thing that has yet been bolted on to iTunes. And and my goodness, it's it's just a Swiss army knife now and it's it's getting kind of ugly. Yeah, I, I don't know what the reason is for keeping it all in one app. Like on iOS, they made a decision that, you know, there's an app called music and there's an app called books. And, you know, so a lot of the stuff or there's an app store, you know, there's a separate app store. Um, the only thing they've broke out on the Mac is the app store itself for the Mac. Um, I I would be curious to see if at some point they, they start splitting iTunes into component pieces or not. Uh, so few people really need to plug into iTunes anymore because so much of the stuff is over the air, but I I suspect that's one reason why they haven't done it. And probably just because so many of the company services are based on that, they've got to be scared, you know, in a a lot of ways. Yeah, I think they are messing that up. But we've seen them do this tear down with other apps. You know, they've teared down and rebuilt iWork from scratch. They've teared down and rebuilt photos from scratch. I mean, if, Photos, it doesn't get hardly any more basic than when you're messing with people's photos. I mean, the only other thing I can think of that is that is that critical is is people's music. So, yeah, well, it's time will tell. But it's we've been talking about that for years. I think the very first show we did on iTunes, we talked about how they need to to rethink iTunes. Right. And uh, that was many years ago. Well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to wrap it up. Say, I know this was a short show, but um, uh, thanks, Smile, for sponsoring us and everybody. I think it was great having Christina on. So go have a nice day. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us further, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah, and you can uh, find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website at relay.fm slash mpu slash 270 for this particular episode. Uh, And also check out David's website over at uh, maxsparky.com. And uh, I'm revamping my website a little bit. So uh, you can check that out over at uh, katiefloyd.me. All right. See you all next week. 